Holly Taro Summer Camp. Hi, Esther. Hi, Holly. I feel like you're going to be taking the reins on this one a little bit more, Miss. I've created a couple of decks. Oh, we've created decks together. Don't Yeah, that's true. That's true. We have created decks together. So this week we are talking about how to make a tarot deck because we get questions about this kind of a lot. Yeah. And there are people who will sell you classes about this for thousands of dollars. So here's the episode of the podcast about it. (laughs) We have saved you thousands of dollars. So if you can send us a check for 500, that'd be amazing. Yeah, feel free. You can, no, you don't even need to send a check. Feel free to donate through our website. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I was, we were still in 1990 from our last episode. (laughs) Yeah. I kept saying bomb.com. What is wrong with me? I have, I didn't even say that in the nineties. It's like a complete mystery. I have been watching a lot more 90s TV. Anyway, okay. it doesn't matter. Yeah. So you've had an idea. I've had many ideas. Well, I was talking in the <laughs> okay. more general you, okay, but okay. also Esther. Okay. <laughs> so say you have an idea for a tarot deck or an oracle deck or some sort of divinatory deck where you're like, oh my God, how does this not already exist? Or alternatively, oh my God, somebody created this before and it was not at all what I would have hoped for. So now I have a better idea for it. Yes. What happens next? Um, you pray to the card goddess and give her offerings and hope that someone will make that deck or you make it yourself. <laughs> or you make it yourself. <laughs> exactly. So this is kind of an interesting thing about creating a deck. I think that a lot of the times we feel like deck creators are the same thing as deck artists. Yes. And they're not always. Sometimes they are. Often they are, but they aren't always. I think mass market, there's a distinction, like where they usually pair up a writer of the book with an artist. That's typically how mass market works. Like it's only been in recent years that the debt creator and artist are the same person. The same person. Exactly. So even with like back in the day, you know, with writer Wade Smith or Toth, which we're also doing summer, uh, summer camp episodes about, especially the Toth deck. Um, it really was the thinker and the artist. Yes. They were usually not one of the same up until like, I mean, like even because I mean, I just even think around the Golden Dawn era, most of the time, like because those were personal decks that people created for themselves. But for most of the time, it was a writer and yeah, yeah, exactly. And an artist that executed. So and even with if we're just using our book as frameworks, even yeah. with the um, what's Paladini's deck called? Uh, Aquarian Tarot. There yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Even with Aquarian Tarot or Morgan Greer, there was a distinct difference between the artist and the creator of the deck or what yes. the deck, like the esoteric meanings of the deck were not created by the artists themselves. So right. it's definitely more of like a eighties and up sort of thing where yeah. the creators of the deck were also the writers behind the deck. But even today, like for example, our friend Kim, who did Way of the Panda, she hired an artist to help her with the pandas because yeah. that's not a skill that she had. She has other great decks that don't have pandas on them. But for that, having an artist help was helpful. Yes. And so there's contracts involved with that. But that's kind of like the first step is deciding if it's a, a vision you can execute or a vision that somebody else should execute. Yes. And if the answer is that it's a vision that somebody else can execute where you hire an artist, you're going to have to both find an artist and also create a way to make sure that it's equitable so that everyone gets their fair due out of it. Yes. There have been situations where maybe that didn't necessarily happen. 
And then those decks go out of print pretty quickly. Yeah. I'm thinking of some everyday magic decks. Yes. Perhaps. (laughs) Where there may have been a collaboration to begin with and then something doesn't work out and then they have to kind of stop and, you know, resettle. Yeah. Yeah. Figure stuff out, then move forward. So that's always the risk with hiring an artist. It's just that it, it can be complicated when you have a business relationship with somebody. Yes. Yeah, totally. And And, anyway, and it also depends on like your country, because like in Korea, once you pay the artist for their work, all the rights are yours. Where in America, that's not the case. Like, so there has to be contracts and agreement and you both be on the same page with all the artists involved and also pay your artist what they're worth. So, right. Exactly. Exactly. And be open with them about what you hope to do with it or what you expect from them. So all the stuff about like, oh, we're going to do a Kickstarter and I need you to also be posting this many times or whatever. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff is stuff that needs to be sorted out before you even start the process. Because it's so much work for an artist to create something if they end up, and it's often, or not often, but it can happen where they end up, you know, not being able to do all of the back end stuff that Mm -hmm. the creator may hope for them to do. So all of that stuff is a really, really good idea to resolve right off the bat. Correct. Which is why doing something self-made is a little bit more straightforward because then you're only worried about yourself. Yeah, totally. So for self-made, I think a lot of people use something like procreate, which is an art based app. Right. But people also do physical versions of collage decks or whatever. And so self-made is a little bit more straightforward. Yes. Tell me about your process. Um, So with any, like, for the most part, like, especially when you're working with any old picture, like there's a botanical oracle deck I've been working on with old photographs. There has to be retouching involved. I would like you to just be just for one Full moment time. say big sneak peek oh, big sorry. announcement as big announcement botanical oracle deck. yes botanical oracle it's been like in the works for a while but you know time is fleeting yeah. <laughs> Esther has nothing but free time right yeah it's not like she's yeah. working several jobs and also doing the podcast please who knows <laughs> um you know so with any sort of you know, any images that you're taking from a different source, there has to be retouching involved, recoloring, that sort of yeah. thing. Uh, most people are familiar with Photoshop, but Adobe has gone to a subscription platform, which is really sucks. ridiculous. It sucks. It's so much per month. So much. Yes. So there are alternatives that are free. There's GIMP, which is a program you can download on and install on your computer. But there's also a website that is almost exactly like Photoshop called photopia.com. You can subscribe for no ads, but the ads will help fund and like host it because it, it takes a lot of stuff to keep it running essentially. So, but it's totally free for Photopea. It's exactly like Photoshop and you can edit your images in there. Um, You can download a template from like a website, like make playing cards and build your image in that. So even if you want to do collage, like um, I'm thinking of, um, Oh, what's her name? The van mystic has a new deck that she's been working on an Oracle deck that's a companion with her tarot deck where she with does Star collage Seeker. stuff. Yeah. And so like she does that in Photoshop and does that collage sort of style in Photoshop. So yeah. it just kind of depends on if you're wanting to primarily work with already art that art that already exists or if you're wanting to create art from scratch. Right. Exactly. So you have like once you get into that, that self-made trail you have to kind of decide from there like is do you want both you what know medium what medium would best. you want to do exactly 
Yeah. So, so I think with like for uh, another good example would be like something that you don't necessarily think of being collage style, but actually is would be uh, Antique Anatomy or yes. Memento Mori, where she's using where Claire from Black and the Moon is using elements of uh, historical documents to create decks. And so all of that requires, like Esther was saying, some color retouching and making sure that everything looks tonally appropriate. Mm-hmm. And she does such a good job that I think that people don't even really realize that it's like right. primary sources because it's all so uh, appropriately adjusted to be mm-hmm. like together. Um, but that's a really, really common way of doing it. And I yeah. think that that's, I, I started off by not super loving collage decks, mm-hmm. but I've grown to really love them because I do think that it's such a good way for people to really get their vision across using open source images or whatever stuff that they can find that's just really neat and also accessible. So if you have a vision, that might be a good strategy for it. Yeah. If you want to hand do your cards, whatever method works for you, pen and paper, using Procreate, whatever, is fantastic. Yeah. Um, sometimes you'll see on Kickstarters when somebody says original print or whatever, that'll be somebody who created the image, usually in a slightly larger size, and then scanned and resized it to be mm-hmm. the, the right size. But Vendor Tarot is a good example yeah. of that, where yeah. it was all done in paper and inks, and then created the smaller version for the cards. Yeah, yeah. So for the legal rights, this is another thing, because I think that we've reviewed a couple of decks like this on the podcast, like, for example, Lisa Frank Tarot, or right. if you find a tarot deck that you really, really, really love that is no longer available, but for some reason all the images are online or whatever. Although that latter is not something we suggest doing, but something like Lisa Frank, where it's like a licensing issue where like, there's a sort of brand that doesn't want you to be doing their shit. And so you can't, no one can sell the deck like Lisa Frank, or there's a Harry Potter tarot that I think was on deviant art or something Yeah, yeah, yeah. that you couldn't buy it, but you could download the images and then print it yourself. I've seen a Disney version of that Mm -hmm. too. Um, So if that's what you're thinking about, if you're thinking like, oh, I would love to create a Buffy the Vampire Tarot or whatever, vampire, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, (laughs) not just a vampire. (laughs) My bad. Yeah. yeah. If you wanted to do that, but you know that you're not going to be able to get rights from whatever NBC Universal, whoever owns the rights (laughs) to Buffy, you can still create that deck just for personal use only. Yeah. And you just have to be really careful with that because you basically can't sell it to anyone. You have to just make it for your own, just for practice, whatever. Mm -hmm. But you can usually print it for yourself somehow, even if it's just home printing and laminating at home or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're allowed to make these decks that have sort of like these legal ramifications. You just can't sell them. Yeah. Especially with big companies like Disney or things like that, where they are very, or even I believe Taylor Swift Tara was going out for a while. I'm like, you know, How? the they <laughs> will find out very soon once production starts going underway that how very protective Taylor Swift is of right everything, which people have to be. I mean, the thing yeah. about copyright law is that you have to be defending your copyright in order to retain it. Yeah. So, for example, I think that this happened. This is like a podcast reference, but with my favorite murder when they first came out. They didn't have any problem with Etsy sellers selling their merch at all. Right, let right. It, like happened like crazy because they were like, "Oh, this is so fun, community building, blah 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 blah." And then they realized that if they didn't start defending their copyright, that they wouldn't be able to use it yeah. later. Yeah. So if somebody started a literal podcast called My Favorite Murder Podcast, they would be able to if they had not previously <laughs> protected their copyright by suing or by threatening 
Right, or just sending people. sending a letter of de- a cease, cease and desist, desist yeah, letter. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, in that way, it's like, it stinks. Capitalism fucking blows. But yeah. it's not the creators, the creator of the original IP's fault, fault. that they have yes. to send cease and desist letters. Right. It's because they need to in order to retain Contin- their copyright. Exactly. But that's why having a personal deck is okay, because you're not... Yeah publishing it or selling it or whatever it's just an image that you want to use and so yeah. you can keep those for yourself because i believe i've seen something like a black lives matters tarot that someone created for themselves and they only have had personal copies for themselves yeah because that's also an official organization yeah exactly or it's also was using photography from oh, other from people from, from protests yeah. and stuff that were owned specifically by photographers or like news outlets or things like that. So that that's kind of a way to, you know, that's a more modern example, I guess. Right. Of something like that. Yeah. And I want to be super, super fucking clear. We are not saying to pirate images. At oh yeah. All. No, we are not saying you should be doing this. We are saying if there is something that you would like to do as like, there is a gray area and mm-hmm. you know, it's fine. Ideally you're making your own individual unproblem right whatever stuff and then this doesn't even come up but there is sort of a genre of deck creation that we would consider personal decks where it's just something that's only for you and that no one can know about yes yeah so that's something to think about so we just wanted to mention that yes. if you're using images that's the other thing though about the uh the mm-mm. Collage style deck. Oh, I was, I was like, <laughs> that was like a full. That was 15 seconds. I was like, <laughs> where are we going? Is she uncomfortable talking about this now? No, that is the problem with the collage style decks, though. If you're not careful, is that sometimes there will be copyrights on images that you wouldn't necessarily think there would be. So, for example, when even when we were writing our book, this is actually oh, a great right. example where, like, uh, let's do Venus of Wald Waldendorf as an example. There's okay. that famous uh, nude goddess statuette yes the venus of waldendorf or waldorf or whatever and some of those images are copywritten by Mm -hmm. the museum that she's at and some of them are not and so you have to make sure that you're using an image that is not one of the ones that's copywritten so it can be the same physical object and there could still be complex copyright issues with it so when you're going through like kind of anything like that really really looking into if that is something that you need to be concerned about is helpful so that you don't get any pushback later. Yeah. So once you've done the deck, first of all, we just did an episode about Oracle. So if you start working on a tarot deck and then you get halfway through and you're like, I don't have enough for the swords or whatever, just transition it to a different style. Yes. <laughs> just go to an Oracle. an Oracle now. Exactly. Yeah. And that's fine because we all, the, the idea that every single deck that comes out has to be 78 cards is unnecessary. You're totally, yes. totally, totally allowed to, create smaller, more personal decks, whatever you want. You're also, I think maybe going back to the personal deck idea, you're allowed to create a deck that you never share with anyone. Even if there are people on Instagram being like, oh my God, I'm so obsessed with this. When can I buy it? You never have to sell a deck you've made. Yeah, totally. It can always just be for you. Yeah. Never has to be something that you share. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And that's even more special sometimes too. So Exactly. But if it is something that you'd like to share, I think we'll skip to the Kickstarter Kickstarter versus pre-order. There are two really, I guess, two main ways that people fund their decks before if they want to do sort of like pre-funding. You can do crowdsource funding, which is most common Kickstarter in our community. There are some Mm -hmm. decks that go Indiegogo, but that's way less common. Right. 
Um, so Kickstarter is kind of the first and foremost one or alternatively doing a pre-order. The benefits of the pre-order is that the money goes directly to you. There aren't any Kickstarter fees. And also you can have more flexibility about the time frame and stuff. Yeah. The downside of it is that you have to be a known player, I guess, because people need to know that you're not just going to rip them off. So you have to have some sort of following where they trust that the deck that you've created is going to be sent to them once the deck has been printed. Yeah. Um, also for either of these methods being so, so, so transparent about timeframes is mm-hmm. a really good idea. Yeah. Um, with Kickstarters, it's also a little bit easier to communicate with people because it's all done on one platform. Uh, so that is something to consider as well. Yeah. For actually planning your Kickstarter, Kickstarter itself has a lot of resources for like how to maximize your Kickstarter ability uh, on their website. So that would be a really good place to start if you're deciding whether or not you want to kickstart or something. Their website kind of walks you through the process, what it looks like to get your Kickstarter approved, what they expect from you, all of that stuff, and also how to sort of maximize your likelihood of being funded. And you can also build your page as you go and it not be like executed immediately. Right. It doesn't have to be live right away. Yeah. So you can take some time with it, build a few months before, tweak things here and there and not have the pressure of like performing immediately once you're yeah. starting to work on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Kickstarter world also has a little bit more buzz around it because Kickstarter may feature it. And mm-hmm. also people are really used to going to Kickstarter to do stuff. Um, but for, for me as a consumer, when I see a Kickstarter deck that is fully done, like all the art yes. is completed, I am 1000% more likely to back it. Yes. I get why people kickstart before the art is done, but it does add an additional layer of stress because a lot of people are going to have questions about it. And also as the consumer, it makes me worried that the timeline will be continue to be extended as yeah. cards are being completed. Well, and the v- the vision may change if it's not completed. Like if you're going to just show three or four cards in your preview, I'm going to be skeptical that you're going to run away with my money because it's not a finished product. And that the rest of the cards as they're revealed, aren't they're going to change and morph my impression. Right. So having everything completed and done in a package is ideal. If you're going to kickstart or something. Yeah, absolutely. It makes it so much easier for people to know that they want to do it. I would say the same goes for pre-orders, but with pre-orders, you're bartering more on your relationship with each individual person who decides to pre-order it through your website Mm -hmm. versus Kickstarter, where there's like the community component of having a like, you know, comment section where people are just on your Kickstarter being like, what the fuck, man? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So there are definitely pros and cons. I, for us, we have always done pre-orders for our decks, but that is because we have a community built in. We have this yeah. podcast. So doing pre-orders makes the most sense. The reason for pre-ordering is because decks are really expensive yes. to purchase. And actually, you know what? It's not even the decks. It's the motherfucking boxes. It's the shipping too. Tarot like shipping boxes. and boxes yeah, are the exactly. worst. Exactly. It's so expensive. So we do pre-orders because we can't buy our wildly tarot decks and wildly Lenormand decks, or we couldn't when we were starting them. We couldn't get the appropriate number 
with right. just cash on hand. Yeah. The other part about it is that you have a way better sense of how many you need to buy when you do pre-orders. And it's mm-hmm. just kind of like the DIY way. Like we wanted right. to keep costs down. So pre-orders were the things that we decided to do. Right. If right. you Kickstarter something, you have to pay Kickstarter. They're, they take mm-hmm. a certain It's like percentage. a 15%. Yeah. 10 or 15% and something so like that. So that's why when you see a crazy, crazy Kickstarter goal, it's almost always because there are fees that they are planning yes. for ahead of time, which is great. Yes. They're planning on shipping fees. They're planning on those fees with Kickstarter. They're planning on using backer kit or whatever. Mm -hmm. They have all of these services that make it a little bit more streamlined for them to execute shipping, but Mm -hmm. they also have to pay for all of those things. Yes. Yes. So pre-ordering really feels a little bit more DIY because when you pre-order the cash gets to you immediately. And then as you sort of gather your pre-orders during your pre-order time period, you can start formulating ways to handle the rest of it. Yeah. The downside of the pre-order, I mean, the downside of both is that I think that people really expect deck creation to be more lucrative. Mm, Oh, yeah. But it just isn't. Like, even people who are regularly getting, like, $75,000 funded on Kickstarter, that is not money that they, they're not taking home $75,000. No, no. At all. They're probably taking home, like, maybe ten. Yes. Which is still a beautiful amount of money, but for the amount of work that it, that Mm -hmm. it takes to do all this stuff it is not like spending six months on a kickstarter is not the same as earning six months of salary in a regular job totally 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 um so i think that that's also important to note like like maybe that was the case when there were very very few decks being created but now that it's like so easy for people to create decks there is just it's not going to be as lucrative as you may think yeah yeah it's it's the time spent as a creator within the whole process, it is not worth the time, the money that is earned at the end of the day. Right. And let, I mean, it has to be really because you love it, not because exactly. you're hoping to earn money from it. Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's why we keep the debt cost on our websites low is because like we could charge more, like we probably should, but we <laughs> want to make sure that it's accessible for people and we're willing to, sacrifice that for other people you know for for the sake of others is to have like you know a low cost fun learning experience for our listeners to make Terra more accessible or Lenormand more accessible exactly because that's what's important to us and not like any sort of bottom line thing right exactly um which kind of leads to the restocking component of it you, it's also a really good idea to decide right off the bat if you want this to be a limited run or if you want it to be something that's kind of in perpetuity. The Kickstarter yeah. especially, a lot of the times people will ask, is this a limited edition or whatever? Uh-huh. As though that has any real meaning. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm always like, limited edition does not mean anything. No. But whatever. Okay. Uh, so, but if you need, if you decide that you want to have it be done in perpetuity, if you want to always have this deck available after you do pre-orders or Kickstarter, making sure that you're making the right decision about how many decks to buy is a uh-huh. really good idea. Right. We have a friend whose name I won't mention who has like 300 of their decks sitting in their basement who they are not even like offloading at all. They just kind of have stopped trying to sell them because of some COVID related mishaps. And so that was probably a missed opportunity yeah. to, because they thought that it would be something that they'd be able to sell in a certain 
situation and mm-hmm. then it didn't end up happening because of COVID. So now they just have all these decks that they're just sort of sitting on. And that is an example of things going really poorly. And I have so, yes. so, so much sympathy for this person because it fucking sucks. Yeah, yeah. But you, there's, there is a way to do this sort of restocking thing using existing orders money so it doesn't feel like you're out thousands of dollars yeah. when that happens. Yeah. My, my fucking iPad is updating the app for the drive right now. Why? Oh, my God. I'm, using, I'm actively using <laughs> I'm it. Right. Um, oh anyway, God. where were we? Oh, just, okay. So, yeah. So, I think that, like, it can be, it can feel really stressful. And we have a lot of creator friends who really do worry about this because uh-huh. you're basically taking stock in yourself and right. saying, I believe that I will be able to sell, sell this, this many, many copies in the future and then putting it on a credit card, basically. Right, right. So that's really stressful, but also the, the difference between print. So I guess, how about this for an example? So for example, actually, this is a perfect example. We, for our Patreon supporters at $15 a month, as promised, they get a gift once a year and they should have just gotten the gift. Yes. Yes. They should have just gotten it. (laughs) And the gift for our Patreon subscribers at the $15 a month was a wildling edition of the Hilda Tarot. Yes. Which we had printed out. And the difference between buying 30 and buying 50 was wild. It ended up being the same price to buy 30 as -hmm. it would have been, or I guess maybe $100 more to buy 50 than it would have been to buy 30. Yes. So obviously that means that you're getting way more product. You're also spending a little bit more money, but your product, your cost per unit Mm -hmm. is way less. Yes. It drops significantly. Right. Exactly. So it's worth it to do that. Um, But then like in this case, since this is something that we can't give to other, we can't sell because it's a Patreon exclusive what are we going to do with the leftover cards? We're going to have to find ways to give them away to people basically, because we don't want to do anything weird or make the Patreon supporters unhappy because we love them. And that's why we're giving them this gift. Yeah. But it's a weird moment where you're like, okay, I have to believe that having 50 of these will Uh be worth it. Right. Right. The other thing that can happen though, with certain printers and maybe we can move on to printers now, the printing industry is very heavily, heavily developed in China. Yes. You'll see a lot, a lot of decks printed in China because they have the facilities for it in a way that most other countries don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just like a, it's just a really cool fact that there are all of these different printers in China in this one specific region and they're excellent printers, but xenophobia and some anti-Asian racism has and anti-Chinese sentiment that the United States has been, carefully developing for 40 years (laughs) makes people feel like using Chinese printers is somehow like less valuable. Yes. Yeah. Or that they're the cards aren't as good quality as they would be in other places. Right. Right. Or even more insidiously that these Chinese printing companies are just stealing your intellectual property. Yes. What? I mean, this is like a whole other rant for me, but what would their purpose of that be? You know, like they, Mm -hmm. if they, lose your IP into the world of the internet, you're never going to print through them again. That is a huge amount of lost income for these factories. If people are fucking stealing people's IP. If if these companies are intentionally 
selling your IP or doing something like that. That's not yeah. ex- happening. It's like some other sort of leak. But anyway, so there are a lot of amazing, 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 amazing decks printed in China. And that yes. is the most common way to do this. Yes. We, as we've said before, use make playing cards, which we love. And yeah. because we've bought so many decks from them, we have a little bit of like a status with them now where we yeah. get a slight discount when we bulk order decks. Yeah. It's usually exactly the same amount as shipping, shipping. It to California is. So yeah. it's not like it's some crazy amount of discount. But you can develop these relationships with your printers. And we have creator friends who have like back and forth relationships with the representatives mm-hmm. at their printing houses where they, you know, can say, well, we have this new situation. Do you want to see what it looks like in that paper or see what it looks like in that finish or mm-hmm. whatever? All of this stuff is really, really cool. And you can, if you use the same printer for a while, you can really develop super good relationships with them. The reason that we like make playing cards is that they have a very low minimum order. Yes. So like I said, for our Patreon supporters, it was like, I think maybe $4 per deck of a difference if you were getting 30 versus 50 or Mm -hmm. yeah, like four entire dollars. So just think about that. (laughs) A pretty, pretty like huge significance if you can get up to 50, but you can also go as low as printing just one. One. And most printers won't let you do that. There's not print on demand for most printers because it just isn't valuable. We'll just use our dog names. Okay. Our, our friend, this is a pseudonym, Doongie, which is also Esther's dog name. Or, you know, any of you have so many reptiles. We have a thousand uh, pseudonyms available to us. (laughs) So one of our friends, Doongie, was on, was uh, messaging back and forth with a potential printer for something card adjacent and their minimum order was 20,000 pieces. Yes. So think about the framework of that, of or of committing to 20,000 pieces of something that's going to cost you 10 to $15 a piece. When mass market decks, like I think of like Llewellyn, you know, I think that would be like, that's like the similar thing. So you have to be competitive enough with mass market to be able to yeah. like, fund that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So then finding a publisher who can do smaller batches is really crucial because you yes. don't you want to be realistic. I know I'm not going to spend 20,000 pieces of any of our decks yeah. or sell 20,000 pieces. I mean, of love to, but not going to happen. It'd be freaking great, <laughs> but it's not going to happen. So we, well, we also keep our costs really, really low, but also we can get at a smaller volume of decks. Exactly. Yeah. Normally our restock is like 30 to 50 decks. Yeah. I think when we first looked into printing stuff for our Wiley Tarot deck, it was like the smallest publishing house would do a 500 minimum. So that's typically in Kickstarter is what you, the reason why you see such high things is because usually it's like a $500 minimum. So people are trying to get two or three item. item thing. Yeah. So, like, since they, it's 500 pieces minimum, people are trying to think, like, okay, if I can sell 200 of these decks, stock 300 of them, it'll be, co- it'll be like, at cost for me, essentially. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, we probably could have bought 500. Yeah. I think that we've, we've, yeah, stocked 500. I, I don't think we've sold 500. I think we've probably I don't sold think we've 300. sold. Yeah, yeah. Maybe fewer. Maybe I don't know math. Maybe 150. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. Using Finding a printer who will do a small enough batch is really, really, really important. Yeah, yeah, totally. And usually they'll it'll be a back and forth kind of relationship where if they see, they'll give you all of these instructions about the size, the, you know, uh, density of pixels, all of that mm-hmm. stuff. And then if you don't do that, it'll tell you and you can fix it. Yeah, yeah. 
or even after you've submitted something, if there's something that looks weird, they will contact you and say, please, you know, address this this or whatever. But so that's kind of what restocking is like. And new additions are kind of a separate thing because sometimes you'll have a color change that you want to do or an additional card that you want to add or, you know, whatever. And all of those things are totally valid reasons to print more. Yes. Yeah. Um, for our Patreon supporters, we had, we, first of all, made it so that it was wildly tarot sort of themed. And then also there are two additional cards that are wildling specific that are added. So that's technically a new addition because the backs are different. The box is different. There's additional cards, all of that stuff. Yeah. So that's kind of a way to have fun new additions and people like new additions of stuff. Yeah. Because it's exciting to try to sort of like see the transition between stuff. My brain is always like, I don't need the mass market edition of this cool indie deck that I got. And then I'm like, well, actually I I probably do. And then I buy it. I'm currently looking at my mass market muse, my mass market (laughs) sacred creators, my mass market antique anatomy. Like I love to get the mass market version too. So those are kind of like having a new edition, even though technically that's a little bit more of a complex situation. Yeah. 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 Which I guess kind of brings us to the point of if you would like to pitch your deck to a mass market publisher, you can Mm -hmm. do that also. Yes. That is definitely a way for stuff to get put out into the world. But you as the creator have very little control over anything once you've sold it to the publisher. Yes. So that is something to consider. Like very famously for us, our friend Claire's first mass market edition of antique anatomy had cardstock that a lot of people felt disappointed in. Yeah. Um, And that was something that people came for her pretty hard about on social media. Like, you know, how could you, how did you even let them do this? And it's like, she didn't really have the right to let them do anything. You know, like once you've sold your deck to somebody, especially if it's your first mass market deck, you have no power in the situation whatsoever. Uh If this is your first deck, you are almost 100% of the time better off doing this on your own than going to a publisher. Yeah. Because the publisher will buy the rights and then you won't own them. You'll get kind of like maybe some money out of it on the back end. Pennies on the back end. Yeah. Pennies, pennies, especially if you're brand new. And also you don't get to control the cardstock. You don't get to control the box. You don't get to control how it's marketed. You may not even Mm -hmm. get to control what they end up naming it. Yeah. So if this feels like a passion project, which for almost everyone who makes a deck, it certainly will. Even though doing the uh, um, indie route is so much work, it is also so much more within your control and so much better for you as the creator than doing anything through a publisher. And many times the mass market people are looking at things like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, um, Instagram for new decks to shop around for and to offer those things. So like... I, I mean, I don't know how many times I know that mid-campaign they have sold their rights to the mass market people, yeah. delivered their their indie decks, and like a month later, turn around weeks and mass later. market. Yeah, yeah, weeks, days later, you know, it goes and mass market. Again, that can really bug some people. Yeah. It doesn't bother me. I mean, I don't, I don't really mind. I would, of course, love a cheaper price, but the Kickstarter for me is about supporting the artist, not like getting it for the cheapest possible price. Right. Or else I wouldn't buy it because Kickstarter's can sometimes be kind of expensive, but there are examples of decks that handled that pretty poorly. Yes. Um, And we've talked about this a little bit on the ethereal visions episode. That's kind of famously one where 
the artist was like not very kind to people who brought it up to him that uh-huh. they were like, what the hell man now it's going mass market and it's being released like the same time. Yeah. So that is famously kind of like not the best example. We don't know very much about that situation because we weren't involved in it at all, but we do talk about it a little bit more on the, uh, ethereal visions episode. Cause I do yeah. love that deck. Right. And his second Oracle deck also went mass market really quickly. And yeah. he, so it's it like it's just like a pattern of like oh this artist is really great this stuff right. is really popular let's try to get mass market and you it's know. not even just him so like for example Chris Ann with the Muse Tarot right. and the Lightseers Tarot Hay House bought those while she was still Kickstartering yeah. them as well and then they yeah. ended up being released a couple months later but that is true a lot of the publishing companies are aware that ma- that indie is kind of more popular and see what's doing well and then try to buy theirs yeah I and I want to say that it happened with Kim with way of the panda that they offered and she turned it down. Oh yeah, probably. I, I mean, think. that's the thing is that it's so much easier from a coordination perspective to yeah. have it be something that is owned by someone else and fulfilled by somebody else. Totally. But yeah. You don't get to then be in charge of it still, which, yeah. which can be hard for you as the creator to kind of like be cool with it. Yeah, totally. There is a, uh, <laughs> okay. So the creator for, uh, Ethereal Visions is named Matt Hughes, and when you search Matt Hughes online, there's also so many like um, sample packs of different lipsticks called Matt Hughes spelled oh, differently. differently. Matt oh my gosh. and Hughes both spelled differently. <laughs> That's so funny. I was like, oh "What God. is this? Why is there?" He so must hate. He must hate that so much. It's, the brand is the Balm. B A L M. Okay. Oh my God, the Balm again. The Balm. <laughs> Uh, but that is really, really funny. Oh my god, <laughs> Matt Hughes. <laughs> Language oh, is so ridiculous. Is. Anyway, so yeah, there can be situations where stuff can feel like it's moving too fast, and I think that I get why people get mad about that. But also, mm-hmm. like, as somebody who really wants to support debt creators, it doesn't bother me because ultimately, I know that they have their reasons for needing to go mass yeah. market. Yeah. So it makes sense. Exactly. And I think another good, another good example of that is Circo Tarot, the oh, right. one that is part of the how to deal set that's yes. sold like exclusively at Urban Outfitters. The creator of the Circo Tarot does not align morally with uh, Urban Outfitters, uh-huh. but she had literally no ability no to say, I don't want my deck sold here because they, you know, support conservative. Right. Well, it was also like under a different like publishing house and she has no right. control what deals her publishing houses make with any is sort making of other with entity. other stores. Exactly. You know, just like so it can get so messy in the yeah. world of publishing. And it doesn't have to be if you're just like in your own house selling shit out of your right. den, exactly. you know. Right. And that's also to say, don't contact the creators complaining about stuff. Right. Oh, yeah. This is our chance to talk about that, too. If you have a complaint about a deck that you got mass market. Talking to the creators just does not help at all. They have no no control over it whatsoever. No. No. And it just makes them feel really bad. Yeah. And they shouldn't because they sold their deck thinking this will make everything better. People will be able to access it for a cheaper price. Mm -hmm. It'll be more accessible. People all over the world can get it more easily. And then if something, if some decision gets made at the publisher level, they can't then say, oh, just kidding. I didn't know you were going to do that. I'd like my rights back. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) That once once the contract is signed, it's out of their hands. And you saying something, like, first of all, who are you? First of all. Yeah. Second of all, that's not being kind. Exactly. To anybody. 
Exactly. So just keep your opinion to yourself. Tell, bitch about it to your friends. Tell them not to buy the tarot deck and move on with your life. Exactly. But now we've transitioned to the consumer, not the creator. So I know. Let's just to circle back to being a creator for a second before we finish up our making a tarot deck episode. I think the main points are figuring out how you want the art to be done, figuring out how you want to do the initial funding and figuring out if you want it to be something that you continue selling are the three main things besides the actual art (laughs) that you need to consider before starting the process. Um, It is really hard to like build a brand for yourself if Mm -hmm. you are not selling those cards, but if you end up having a surplus of them, that you can't sell because you're not using it enough on social media, then you're just kind of stuck with them too. So it's always sort of a delicate balance, but that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why we say like, you're not going to be making a ton of money doing this because you just don't, there's no way to know. Right. Right. And like during the pandemic, for example, a lot of our creator friends were saying that they were selling way fewer decks. Like Mm -hmm. people just were not in the right headspace or financial situation to be buying a lot of decks. So then they had stagnant stock for a while. Right. Right where people just weren't doing anything. And the other thing to consider, oh, this is maybe a separate rant, but if you're deciding that you want to sell them on your own, make very clear policies for your shop. Like Mm -hmm. I will be shipping out on Mondays and Thursdays. I will always be using uh, priority mail. So you can expect it two two to three days after that or whatever. We do do international shipping. We don't do international shipping. All of those sorts of policies, have those be visible immediately. Mm hmm immediately because people will ask people will ask for refunds because the post office loses something or whatever and if you can have the chance to make sure that all that is clear then you can kind of move forward more easily yes as far as like doing the art goes there's no one way to do it i mean everyone has different strategies for us it was because the wildly tarot decks are so text-based it was easiest Mm -hmm. to just do it systematically but if you are somebody who wants to feel like the spirit in each card and go through card by card as you're inspired to do it. I think that's a great strategy too. Yeah. Yeah. Our friend Mari from Mari in the sky who made the, uh, gentle tarot. You said Mari. I think it was Mari. No, no, no. But earlier I said that all positive deck, I think I might've called it the gentle tarot when we were doing the, I don't, but I didn't mean that. What's the one that's by Colette Baron Reed. That's the one I was thinking of. Oh, the nice oh, tarot. The, the, no, the good tarot. You said the good, good tarot. Oh, earlier. I did say. Okay, yeah, good, yeah. Good, good. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't like accidentally go oh, no. to Mari's deck because oh, no. I love it so much. Um, this is the problem with recording two episodes back to back. Is that <laughs> I thought that was this episode, but it was not this episode. No, it, was it wasn't. Last <laughs> Uh, what was I even saying? Okay. So she's a good example. Cause when we were interviewing her, she said that she would pull a card and then she would use that card as the inspiration for the card she did that yeah. day. So she did it sort of in more of that like spirit guided way where instead of having a systematic approach, like I want to do all the court cards and then all of the majors and then all of the minor arcana, she did it kind of card by card piecemeal, which I think is pretty common. And I love right. that for people. Um, but so the art stuff is there's really no rules other than people want to see most of it, if not all of it done by the time you try to start fundraising for it. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's kind of it. Do we have yeah. anything else about making a deck? All I'm just going to say, if you choose to become a creator, like steal your nerves a bit because yeah. people will have opinions. People will have comments and don't let what anyone else thinks impact your vision as an artist. Yeah. People like, there are people who will have billions of opinions on Kickstarters about how you should execute your deck. Absolutely. You so are many the, opinions. you are the captain of the ship. 
your vision is what matters. Most people, exactly. like 95% of people who are, you know, 98% maybe on Kickstarter are, or any sort of platform are there to see your vision. Don't let the, the little loud letter the 2%, people, yeah, the 2% who have their kind of, own vision because they will, they feel like they need to express their opinion at you. And so just, I and think, that goes for all of the components that goes yeah. for the cards, the deck itself, the card stock, all of that Edging stuff. You, stuff, yeah. You may people may say, "Oh, I I only want silver edges." But if you are somebody who's like, "I don't really like that," don't add it because yeah. there will be just as many people who don't want it as the loudmouth who wants it. Yes. You know? Like, yeah. There's you have to have a really clear vision of what you would like this experience to be. Yeah. Before you, you know, strike out and do it because there are so many variations of like card feeling, mm-hmm. card look, box look. I know that in the past we've been like dismissive about tuck boxes but i way prefer a tuck box to a giant giant box that doesn't fit the cards in them yeah like if it's like way too big for the cards i would way rather a thousand times over have a tuck box than a box that's too big and it's totally fine to like ask your community like hey would you rather have black matte edges or purple matte edges just kind of get a feel if you're not quite sure like what you want to do but at the end of the day it's your decision as the artist right and people can deal with it and not everyone can be madam clara who has like like five variations (laughs) i know i want to know their printer because that's like they have like amazing i know i know it's so great so yeah, I mean it's it's so cool to create a deck. I don't I mean I just collect them. I'm yeah. sure someday I might have an idea for one, but I don't push myself to because I already have too many decks. But it's such a great idea. Even if you're just doing it for yourself, you can just yeah. print one copy for yourself. Whatever. Creating a deck for yourself is a great idea and it shouldn't feel so overwhelming and insurmountable. There are so many resources on the Kickstarter website for how to do a Kickstarter effectively. Look at other people's Kickstarters that have done really well mm-hmm. to see what they did. If you want to pay for a class about how to do create a new deck, of course, you're more than welcome to. We're never going to shame anyone for that. But just know that a lot of it is just helping you uh, market your idea. Market stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's more like, of like a social group rather yeah. than like a ha- like the actual tasks of creating Nitty the gritty. deck and putting it out into the world are things you can find through other resources uh-huh. and then or through free resources like Benabel Wen has some free resources yeah she for has it. free stuff and like a $45 like downloadable Version. course yeah. and like that ha- gives you all the documents all the math stuff like calculating shipping ahead of time like what percentage is typically you know international shipping so you can take that yeah. into account so like yeah. and that's like the best 45 bucks you'll spend exactly that's most anybody else in the terror community has adapted for themselves to be honest right so exactly exactly best option yeah um and so yeah i think that's kind of it yeah good luck and also feel free to email us about stuff we love seeing people's ideas for new decks and see totally you know how they come to be yeah um and we also are always interested in interviewing creators who are creating new and cool decks yeah Exactly. There's me going bomb, but mine was bomb, bomb ass. What so is I'm wrong a bit... with us? See, this is why we need to take this recording break. We need to. <laughs> I know. We need to go <laughs> use the bathroom, get more coffee, and try to figure out why we're what? using 90s slang so much. <laughs> 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 anyway. 
anyway, that's our show. Thank yeah. you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting us. If you'd like to support us more, you can go to patreon.com slash wildly tarot and back us on Patreon um, and be eligible for our gift for next year from yeah. our Patreon for our Patreon supporters. Maybe or just at the five dollar level. Next year. Yeah, who knows? At the five dollar level, you have access to all of our content, and we just really appreciate the support. Yep. Um, you can also go to our website, wildlytarot.com, where you can find our decks and also where you can just donate to us if you'd like to, but you can also find a place to ask any questions, intro episodes that we've done, um, all sorts of stuff, a, pa- a place to pre-order our book, which is going to be out now in early October rather than late September. We got pushed back a little bit more, uh, just in time for holiday shopping. Woohoo! <laughs> and you can go to Stitcher, Apple, anywhere, rate, review us, share us with your friends. We really appreciate any sort of like little pluggy plugs. Exactly. And go forth and tarot wildly. We love you so much. We love you. We love you. 